0: The Apple of Truth, our bi-weekly podcast where we nerd out about our favorite TV shows.
1: Currently, we're covering every single episode of Good Omens, based on the book by Sir Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman. And because we are who we are, we focus on details you didn't need, but for sure deserved. I'm Vero. And I'm Lina.
0: And today we're talking about episode three,
1: Hard Times. And not going to lie, it was a hard episode.
0: It was heartbreaking.
1: It was also hard, but we're going to get into those parts.
0: We need to do a little welcome because... We have our new patron. It's the first person that joined us since we started Good Omens. So Woo! give the warmest welcome to Gwen Rupert. Thank you so much for supporting Believing us Believing in us. Believing in us. Be the believer that you are. And we hope that all the things that you will hear in the bonus and other stuff will convince you that you did the right thing. Thank
1: you. I uh, summarized this hard times episode as follows: Izerafeld struggles with the knowledge of the Antichrist and puts strain on his relationship with Crowley, who pretty much just wants to run away with him at this point.
0: Aww.
1: Adam gets environmentalist topics and conspiracy theories, while all chess figures are being drawn more and more towards Tatfield.
0: All roads lead to Tatfield. Oh yeah. Yes and I really enjoyed parts of that and I really did not enjoy parts of that but we'll talk about it in detail in the next 15 hours. We have chosen a word of the episode. I have to admit I only have one. Say. I... Did have multiples to choose from, but uh, most of them were kind of either not really British after researching them or a bit too mundane. So (laughs) I have decided to go with the word that I actually had to look up immediately as watching the episode. And it is the word foment.
1: Ooh, okay. I was worried for a second that you had chosen my word, but not my word. Yeah, that
0: that was a little risky move. I did not have to
1: look that up because it was in the IMDb Facts and Funds.
0: (laughs) Okay, so what I thought it meant, I actually thought that they are saying and therefore it meant ferment. (laughs) Because I either haven't watched it with subtitles before or I haven't just clocked it before. But I genuinely thought they were saying ferment. And within the context, that would also work. So, you know, fermentation instead of fomentation. What it actually means? It means instigate or stir up. Or in the archaic version, bathe a body part with warm or medical lotions.
1: Okay. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I don't think that was what they were talking about in that scene. That is actually, it is used in the scene where they are both dressed up night and they're talking about fomenting yeah peace slash
1: not peace did you look up the why the answer is what is that some kind of porridge wait what so when one of them says i'm here spreading foment
0: (laughs) oh and then the answer (laughs) is
1: what is that some kind of porridge
0: I did not actually look that up. I did not realize that. So, so that is a
1: wordplay because frument or frumenti was a very common wheat or barley porridge in medieval Europe. It has oh been called
0: God. England's first national dish. That is actually hilarious. Actually, you're going to have this the scene this is happening we do have a year right from wessex
1: kingdom of wessex 537 a.d
0: so essentially we could say that the two of them are essentially inventing the word because our first known use of the word is actually in circa 1613. So way later (laughs) than this. So they are using this word prematurely. And um, there is a little etymology fun facts there. If you had a sore muscles in 1600s, your doctor might have advised that you foment the injury, perhaps with heated lotions or warm wax. This sounds a little like an odd prescription. Not if you know that foment traces to the Latin verb for ver, which means To heat or warm or to soothe. The earliest documented English uses of foment appear in medical texts offering advice on how to soothe various aches and pains by the application of moist heat. In time, the idea of applying heat became a metaphor for stimulating or rousing to action. (laughs) Foment then started being used in a political context to mean to stir up or to call to action so it actually started out mm-hmm. as bathing or warming up or soothing and from that it developed into the use that I believe that's the use that Crowley and Azrafel used in the episode a hundred years too early <laughs> as they all want to do probably
1: well my word is very different because I went with tetchy because God oh. is very tetchy What I thought it meant, slightly angry. What it actually means, what do you think it actually means?
0: I would say it's touchy.
1: No, but very close. Touchy is uh, related to the origin word. Ah. Or to the assumed origin. We're going to get there. It actually means irritable and bad-tempered. Hmm. Yes, yes, yes. So where does it come from? It is uncertain. First, it was attested as Chi-Chi in the 1597 first quarto versions of Romeo and Juliet and Richard Third. So oh. it's mighty possible that it was actually coined by Shakespeare. Interesting. Which is especially interesting since in this episode there is Shakespeare. Yeah. Neither of those two plays, but hey. There's also other potential sources, like it might have been derived from the English tetch, which is a tantrum or a fit of anger, mm-hmm. or from the Scottish tach, t-a-c-h-e, which is blotch or fault, mm-hmm. from the Middle English tach, t-a-t-c-h, which is a blemish, which then would have been influenced by touchy. And touchy, in turn, was derived from the old French taché, from vulgar Latin, Greek, La la, la 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 la. So much confusion. I'm gonna stick with it's from Shakespeare because that's the best.
0: Yeah, it is. Especially within the context of this episode. <laughs>
1: so I was very happy with my uh
0: choice of yeah. word. Me too, actually.
1: <laughs>
0: I was also very happy
1: with the abundance of IMDb facts and funds. But mm-hmm. most of them were so specifically related to single scenes or happenings. Or did my freeze framework for me that I put them where they belonged. I kept mm. a few Here, together for us.
0: Supposedly,
1: the Nazi scene was the final scene that Michael Sheen filmed for the entire series. Oh. And IMDb also claims that he had to excuse himself to cry once he was done. But since that is something that is frequently claimed on IMDb and very rarely true, I choose to believe this is not true. Yeah. Then IMDb is extremely helpful by pointing out that David Tennant, Scottish, affects an English accent, Michael McKean, American, affects a Scottish accent, and Mark Gettys, English, affects a German accent. (laughs)
0: Oh, I thank you, IMDb. I would have never known.
1: Another tidbit that everyone who listened to your bonus episode is aware of is Terry Pratchett was for many years a press officer for the Central Electricity Generating Board in the UK. In that role, he often had to write press releases covering incidents in nuclear power stations. Mm
0: -hmm. So it is
1: very fitting that there is a nuclear power station in the book.
0: There might be a reason for that, yes. <laughs>
1: then the opening title credits do not appear until 28 minutes into the runtime, which is possibly the second only to the cold opening of the OA homecoming from 2016, which was around 57 minutes long. So very long cold open, very unusual, especially since usually the intro comes after like six minutes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I noticed that. I also put down a couple of things throughout the episode that I'm sure were mention in the facts and funds. Well, see, maybe I get to bring something new, but I seriously doubt it because those were very obvious searches from my side. Ah,
1: sometimes it's very obvious and still not in IMDb or in my brain.
0: Also, I find it very
1: interesting that not only are the titles so super late, it is pretty much exactly half the episode. Yes, that's true. It makes so much sense because the first half is the looking back and the second half is the current storyline. And so Mm -hmm. it made a lot of sense to me. And then lastly, a freeze frame which I would have missed if IMDb had not pointed it out is that at 35.11 when God identifies Witchfinder Major Robinson you can see that the photograph is actually labelled Witchfinder Major Robertson. So, tiny mistake (laughs) Ah. on God's part here.
0: Burn.
1: Yes, I I mean, whenever God's touchy or mistaken, I kinda wanna point it out.
0: Obviously. Just like cloudy. And that's it
1: for defects and funds this time.
0: Amazing. Look at us go. Okay, so I actually have decided I do have my previously on however I have written it based on uh, the previously on we get actually in the episode the little flashback that uh, Azritho has so I try to describe everything that is in that flashback but that would be very very long because it's basically everything everything that we've seen so far So I have done my uh, previously on about halfway through the episode. So (laughs) let's do it slightly untraditionally this time. Just
1: like the episode. Just
0: like the episode.
1: We start then in the Garden of Eden, 4004 BC. And obviously I actually have a question. If this is 4004 and Eden is on Earth and Mm -hmm. this is when the Earth was created... Mm -hmm. Did Adam and Eve not even live for one year in Eden before falling from grace? No. It's like two days. Yeah, so they... Like, seriously, right? That's why it's weird that
0: she is with a child already. It's also like they have to be there for like seven days, right? And then they got kicked out. No, the human was created... On the last day, if I'm not mistaken. So they were there for like 24 hours. They may have been there for like a few months, I'd say.
1: No, 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 wait, wait. wait. Adam was made on the sixth day or something. Oh,
0: sixth day. Yeah, because the seventh day... was God later. Read... Yeah, 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 exactly. So I'd say... Since we only get year and not a day at this point, they could have been there for a few months before this whole thing happened.
1: But it's like, damn, yeah. what's wrong with you, God? Not even a year in paradise for them.
0: I mean, it's humankind. They do not deserve paradise. We all know that. No, God set them up for failure. I'm
1: very, very <laughs> yeah. not happy with uh, this <laughs> revelation that they did not even have a fucking year in paradise. Aw, yeah. So
0: we get to watch azrael refilling the hall that he made <laughs> for adam and eve leaving the garden and then he just pretends nothing happened although it just makes complete no sense because obviously god sees all God knows all. God pretty much created the circumstances for this to happen. Why is God asking questions in the first place? I mean, I think that God is just trying to create an anxiety attack in Azarethel at this point. Which when is he starts mean. asking. <laughs> it's really mean, yeah. But it is God all is a part dick. of his ineffable plan. Of her. Of her, of her ineffable p- plan. Like, you know, you can't fault her for being ineffable.
1: Yes, I can. I'm very much with Crowley when it comes to all that. Oh,
0: no. Absolutely, yeah. I I, I am
1: like, seriously, like this first scene alone, and of course, mm-hmm. everything that comes later, I'm not on team God when it comes to all of this.
0: Not really, no. But we move over to Mesopotamia, as we just mentioned. The flood is local, which is something I believe in the Old Testament they say that it's supposed to be all worldwide. Everyone, yeah. While... I love how they... Uh,
1: Aziraphale frames it like God is not upset with the Chinese or the Native Americans. Like It's it's beautiful. It's very, very nice. Did you notice that Mesopotamia and the flood is exactly a thousand years after getting kicked out of the garden? So within oh. a thousand years, God got so tetchy, as Aziraphale calls it, that she decided to start anew, basically.
0: Yeah. Also, we get Crowley being a bit like... Oh, isn't that, you know, something that our side would do, probably? He's
1: so great at pointing out amazing. how fucked up all of this is. Uh-huh. Seriously, it's beautiful. Also, obviously, the one with the unicorns.
0: The moment with the unicorns is excellent. And then when uh, Azaraphale goes, yes, you know, but when it's done, the Almighty is going to put up a new thing called Rainbow as a promise not to drown anybody ever again. Shevsky's it's just like, what? So basically, every time you see a rainbow, it means yet another promise that God's not going to do a mass murder.
1: I mean, there's a bunch of things in the Bible that kills very, very, very many people. But I'm really sure I talked about a few of those things in the Lucifer bonus content. So... Oh... Next up, we go to something really, really fucked.
0: Grim is what I call that. Mm-hmm. Golgotha 33 AD. Mm-hmm.
1: And this is, of course, Christ's crucifixion. We do get the supposed texts that Jesus said while being nailed to the cross. With them, forgive them, Father, for they do not mm-hmm. know what they do. I'm pretty sure the way they nail them to the cross is accurate because the palms one is not. No, no,
0: they did it on the wrists.
1: The wrist one is more stable. Yeah. And you can actually see in the background the two others. They are tied to the yeah. cross, which mm-hmm. was the other usual way to crucify someone. The only thing that surprised me was that Jesus's knees looked already broken. And that is usually only done at the very end. Because once you break the knee, the whole body weight is on the pinned points in the wrists. And mm-hmm. then you have much more internal bleeding due to the body weight dragging everything down, basically. Mm. And then you die faster. Oh. Oh, God. So it's actually a nice thing to break your knees once you're crucified. But in the shadow, last Mm -hmm. camera angle, you can see his knees are bent, not broken. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, don't look so unhappy. I'm just describing the
0: historical
1: accuracies. Of
0: course, (laughs) of course. I think that it's a really well done scene. For starters, it is very grim. It feels very accurate as well.
1: Yeah, Be kind to each other. Well, I mean, that's going to make people angry, right?
0: It does feel realistic. It feels really not great. In this scene, the interesting parts that I paid attention to, because I could not really pay too close attention to the crucifixion itself, we get the name change of... Crawley to Crowley. And this is something that I didn't really notice in the first episode and you had to point it out to me. And I still wasn't 100% convinced because Amazon and their subtitles are well known of being extremely inaccurate. Especially with us. (laughs) Especially with us. But here we have the confirmation of Crawley actually consciously changing his name to Crowley so we see that.
1: There's also a very nice reference with the Mephistopheles and Asmodeus
0: that is even though I'm thing, pretty yeah.
1: sure both of those names are way ahead of their time once again.
0: Mm-hmm. We have the little conversation where Azrael asks Crowley if he met Jesus and he said yeah yeah he seemed like a nice fella. I took him into... Where did he take him? All over into... I showed him all
1: the wonders of the world. And I'm pretty sure that this is a direct reference in the Bible. Because the snake, or rather Satan as the snake, shows up to meet Jesus. Um, And it's been a while since I read that part. But I think it's before they have the meal. And before mm-hmm. Jesus says that uh, Petrus will defy him thrice and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And Jesus already knows what is coming. And Satan shows up to A, make sure he's aware of what is coming. And B, basically offer him a just leave it all be. And tries to tempt yeah. him.
0: Yeah, which, you know, um, feels pretty accurate to yeah. who Role is as a character in this context. And the little remark of, oh, his travel opportunities are limited, that kind of got me laughing. Then he asks Azraphel, what did he even say to Mm -hmm. make this happen? And Azraphel just goes, be kind to each other. And the reply goes, yep, that will do it. Which... This is what makes for the best satire. It's funny because it's true.
1: And it's true no matter what day and age. I mean, look at the current times. Exactly. How angry some people get when you tell them that maybe we should not have people drown in the ocean when they're trying to flee for their lives. And it's like, what? So (sighs) one of
0: the many, many things they shouldn't be
1: doing. Yeah, but still, people get super angry about that when you point that out, so yeah, some things don't change. We go into Rome,
0: 41 AD. I have a notion, and I'm not 100% sure if it's true, because this is the first moment watching the episode where I noticed this actively. Mm -hmm. Is this the first time Aziraphale actually approaches Crowley and not the other way around? Yes,
1: but also, did you notice that Crowley is incredibly grumpy Mm -hmm. at the point when Aziraphale shows up? And his mood brightens basically instantly within this super short interaction. Mm -hmm. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, well, that's lovely. But I I feel like it's interesting in there, uh, because this is essentially the first half of the episode is us getting to know their relationship.
1: Yes. And
0: kind of seeing how it developed over the millennia. It was the first
1: time Aziraphale initiated contact.
0: He was happy to see him, clearly. He wanted to have a conversation with a demon. Out of all creatures, and he was genuinely happy to see him, so I love that little tidbit, and I am sure that was on purpose
1: also obviously, we get the first food mention of the episode with the oysters
0: oysters so. let me tempt you, oh, that's your job. <laughs>
1: I'm keeping track of all the food, so I have added oysters to the list. Mm. Then we have another pretty big time jump considering. Mm -hmm. And we go to the, in the facts and funds mentioned, Kingdom of Wessex 537 AD. And it took me way longer than I care to admit to realize that we are now in King Arthur time
0: and territory. (laughs) I was like, oh, White Knight versus Black Knight, (laughs) ha ha ha. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I think this is my favorite flashback when I think about it. I adore them dressed up as knights. So my thought process here. Very few people look cool or like they know what they're doing when they're wearing a full coat of arms. (laughs) Aziraphale and Crowley are not one of those people. They look so out of place in that. It's so perfect. I
1: mean... To actually you, they also look out of time because the suits of armor that they wear, which is plate armor, does not match that time. Plate armor has reliably been traced to the beginning of the 15th century, so
0: they are 900 years too early. Not 900.
1: Yeah, 15th century. We are now in 539. Oh my god, my brain's
0: completely... Yeah, no, you're right. Because back then they would have the circle ones, right? Although it does make sense, wasn't it? Wasn't it?
1: Don't ask me, but the plate armor, not from then.
0: Okay, not from the time. Okay, it is just so funny that they meet up, they invent new words and new clothings, and it's just perfect.
1: I'm surprised that you like this, though, because this is the first time where Xerophil gets very upset with The first proposition of the agreement.
0: I think that he gets upset because this is the first time it's been mentioned. But clearly, as we then later find out, he agrees to it. Yeah,
1: but he's still very upset in the scene.
0: Yeah, because at this point he thinks of himself more pure of an angel which is something that's going to kind of flip flippity-floop through this episode. It feels like at this point, they're still randomly running into each other and they're not looking for ways to meet up.
1: Well, it's not random. They have missions that they're being put upon by heaven and hell, respectively.
0: Yes, but they're not put on the missions with the knowledge that the other person will be there. No. So they would run into each other face-to-face. Which is something that in episode one, Aziraphale claims... In heaven, that he has never ran into Crowley on earth. So, you know, it's up until this meetup, I'm assuming it was all chance and orders that brought them together rather than their own. Volition.
1: Absolutely. We now go to the Globe Theatre in London 601. From now onwards, we do not get the AD anymore because apparently it's obvious that it's AD. How disappointing. <laughs> and I have lots of IMDb pieces for
0: this bit. Of course you do. I only have two So do you want to
1: go first and see if they match mine or do you want me to go through mine and then see if you need to mention anything else?
0: I mean, I can do the two and then then you can do the rest. Good. So I have the two most obvious ones. The first one is that Shakespeare is directing his actor and he calls him Burbage. In fact, Richard Burbage was the most famous actor of Shakespearean era in Globe. He was pretty much, he's the one that we know today. I would not say
1: most famous. He was the first known actor for Shakespeare.
0: According to to some articles, he's he's the most prolific one as well as the first. But, you know, he is definitely known to be, for a fact, an actor for William Shakespeare. And that is very cool that they keep the historic facts. Mm -hmm. And then the second very obvious one, even the way David Tennant says the words and the way Shakespeare writes it down you know that this is going to be in one of the Shakespeare plays of his future career. David Tennant aka Crowley says age does not wither nor custom stale his infinite variety. With a tiny little change it is a line from Antony and Cleopatra. A play that has been written by Shakespeare. The little change is that in the play itself it says nor custom stale her infinite variety and Crowley says his.
1: And obviously since we have David Tennant mention a Shakespeare line that gets written down by Shakespeare in the Globe Theatre which was Shakespeare's Theatre. This is the second time that Tennant has done this as acting in a role because in Doctor Who David Tennant also is in the Globe Theatre and he He says, all the world's a stage, which is from As You Like It and also gets stolen by Shakespeare.
0: It is incredible, which is amazing. And watching both Michael Sheen and David Tennant being in this context is incredible because they are obviously both Shakespearean actors. So uh, it is just, they just fit in so well for me.
1: And just another... Tiny funny layer, obviously Crowley, a.k.a. David Tennant, complaining about having to watch a moody play, which is Hamlet in this context. Tennant himself obviously played Hamlet both on stage and in a movie Hamlet from 2009. Of course. So,
0: yeah. Have you seen it? Bitte? What? Have you seen it? No. Bitte. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, me neither. It's one of, it's, it's. on my app uh, to-watch list, actually. I gotcha.
1: Otherwise, for this scene, I just love how great Crowley is attempting.
0: Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, it is literally his job. But I mean, you
1: say, of course. But in the past two episodes, it was made very deliberately clear that he doesn't really have to do much of his job because humanity is so much better at being bad. That it's nice to see him in action, so to say. hmm because just theoretically knowing that he's good at his job and there has to be a reason why he got this job in the first place, yadi yadi yadi, is one thing. But witnessing him in action, especially towards Ziraphale, I love it.
0: Yeah. And you can see how much he actually enjoys interacting with Aziz. Az- Az- no. She's gonna hate me for it, but this is in my notes, so I'm gonna keep no. saying it until she stops complaining. Never. His name is <laughs>
1: Ziraphale.
0: Or A. Z. Fell. A. Z. Fell.
1: It's how he gets addressed by the uh, Nazis later on.
0: We could. Mr. Fell. We cou- Oh my god, I did not realize that. Oh my god. <gasps> Mind blown. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yes. It's how Seriously. he signs the note I on like, the
1: bookshop.
0: A. Z. Fell? I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I thought that he is called Mr. Fell because he's like. I'm thinking of Crowley, who's my best <laughs> no! friend, who's a fallen angel. Therefore, no! <laughs> fell. Angel fell. So that's why I'm going to call myself oh. Mr. Fell. No. I thought it was a love letter. He
1: literally signs the sign in his store. And I'm pretty sure the side of the, bookshor- of the bookshop also says a. Z. Fell.
0: Oh my god. Okay, mind blown. Thank you. This is wow. ABCD all over again.
1: Wow, this is... All I say is Fellini. Um,
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do have a tendency to interpret things my own way. My brain works in mysterious ways. Okay, well, we get a confirmation that not only Azaraphale is agreeing to do this Edinburgh thing. He has indeed done this with Crowley. Dozens of times before, so their relationship is growing.
1: I want to put on the question list: mm-hmm. What was the first time that the arrangement happened, and what was needed for Crowley to actually convince Aziraphale to do it for the first time? Because once you have done it once, it's always easier to do it again. That's what she said. Um, so I was going to say that you're too slow, honey.
0: No, the connection is too bad,
1: and also, so I. I definitely want to put this on the question list because yeah, I'm no, really for curious. curious.
0: Great. Great question.
1: And lastly, for the scene, I want to point out, is Raphael so incredibly happy when Crowley makes this tiny miracle for him?
0: I know, because he's such a huge fan of Shakespeare and he's it's such a huge so fan of precious. Crowley.
1: But it's not the most precious moment and I have a lot of caps in my next scene.
0: <laughs> of course, this was your favorite. <laughs> well, it's
1: not my favorite, but it's definitely one. It definitely has a moment that is um, unmissable.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: To start us off with Paris, 1793. I have another IMDb fact, which I obviously would not have known because I'm not that uh, stable in my history. Uh, not when it comes to those things. Aziraphale is shown being imprisoned in the Bastille. The prison fortress had been torn down in 1789, four years prior to 1793, with its bricks sent to the eastern France to build walls against the Austrian invasion. So in 1793, Aziraphale could not have been imprisoned in the Bastille because it wasn't there anymore.
0: Now, we know that this is the Paris that they mentioned in episode one, right?
1: We assume so, yes. Well,
0: I feel it's a done memory, like done deal, because of the mention of the lunch at the end of the crepes. And also Aziraphale's face when he thinks of the lunch is pretty much identical to the one when he talks about crepes at the end of this scene. But also the fact that Aziraphale has been, first of all, caught by the French. He has been scheduled for execution, which, as he mentioned, the paperwork would be terrible if he actually ends up being beheaded. But also the little mention of the fact that he has been reprimanded by heaven for too many frivolous miracles. It feels like he's been really enjoying himself on Earth, and... Steering away from the angelic idea of purity, essentially, and uh, neutrality or something like that, or being... A good, nice, proper angel, which is what we kind of think of when we... Or maybe even he thinks of when he thinks of an angel. He's become more and more human, essentially. And he's he's gone native. He's gone native. And even though Heaven is realizing this and punishing him for it, they still let him stay on Earth, which is kind of weird to me. Well, better to have one
1: corrupted angel than two. I
0: suppose. But, you know, it, it makes sense that Crowley is doing so much better on Earth because... Because demons are already, uh, what's the word? Demons are already compromised, if you know what I mean.
1: In a way, yeah. It's completely fascinating to me that you focus on incredibly different things in this
0: scene. I mean, I focus on the other ones as well, but I just find it really interesting. And, and it just lends us a view in the psyche of Azrafel, which is going to be, in my opinion, important at the end of the episode.
1: You focus on comparing the face he makes when he talks about the craps at the end of the scene. <laughs> I focus on the face he makes when he hears Crowley's voice. <laughs> because he looks so happy when he hears his voice.
0: Wouldn't you be happy if somebody that you kind of have feelings for shows up in- to save you from prison?
1: Uh, uh, uh I'm sticking by my point. Aziraphale is not in love with him yet. We're coming there. We're getting there. But he is incredibly happy to see him here. more so Mm -hmm. than ever before so far
0: but also why does the zero fell not speak French also, that is my question. I want to know how. What? It feels. An like angel must speak all languages. Exactly right. Is it because he's not practicing enough? Because he says like, "Oh, I'm so out of practice." But like the eh, yeah. Come on. I'm not,
1: okay, we're putting this on the question list. Good. Yes. Also, for me, very relevant. This is the first documented, not my work, but I took credit for it from Crowley. Yeah. I want to point out another thing that goes in tune with you pointing out the less-than-angelic behavior from Aziraphale. We are in agreement that Aziraphale indirectly murders the executioner, right?
0: Oh, yeah, of course. And he doesn't even think about it twice.
1: is very non-angelic and they don't even acknowledge it.
0: In fairness, it's because they only have eyes for each other at this point. No, Zerofile only has ice for the craps, basically. Shh. Don't ruin my perfect scenario. T- so two more scenes,
1: thing. then I'm with you. In two scenes, I am with you. Not yet.
0: <laughs> but it's also, he knows that this guy is going to d- go to hell regardless. And maybe if he dies, uh, in twisted logic, <coughs> he saves more people?
1: No, because that's not how a Zerifel works. Otherwise, he would be willing to kill the Antichrist.
0: But that no- that's not something his side would do.
1: No, his side would blazily switch clothing with someone. Else and have that person die. Exactly. So, yeah, no, 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 no.
0: No, I, I completely agree with you. This is just a, for the sake of argument. And then lastly, I want to point out that, well, he
1: was basically asking for it being dressed like that. It's not a sentence that aged well for me.
0: I yeah, that is completely understandable. And this is something that they start with and they end with the scene. So um <laughs> they keep they they essentially are still talking about the same outfit. But uh, I believe this is a coat that somehow Azraful keeps and cares for for the rest of eternity. That's the one, right?
1: Oh, that is a very good question.
0: And it looks the same. Although why does you he are still have better
1: it? at clothes than me but <laughs> hmm. that is a very ooh because if it is ooh mm-hmm. <laughs> okay i love that
0: <laughs> Okay, it's it's the code.
1: I have decided it's the code.
0: Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is, yeah. The
1: hive mind has decided you're in love. We go to the next one, which is the St. James Park in London in 1862. And before we get into it, I have another IMDB fact that, of course, I also wouldn't have known because... Buckingham Palace is shown with its post-1913 facade.
0: Oh, I did not realize that. Because they obviously filmed there now, Yeah, so that's why. But uh, that's true. When I was in London a couple weeks ago, I was talking to a friend of mine who obviously is a historian, and she was telling me that the history of what was happening there so that they rebuilt that entire area on the cusp of 19th and 20th century for a coronation and they didn't finish that until the 1913 yeah what a timing right so yeah i did not realize that thank you for pointing that out
1: thank you imdb for having these informations did you notice that for some reason in this scene we get like the faintest notes of the intro music yes I don't understand why.
0: It's just part of the background music.
1: But it's such a random moment to have the intro music play in there.
0: I couldn't pinpoint the exact moment. I have to say I did not. It didn't straddle me.
1: Well, it it, 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 it did straddle or startle me. So startle. startle. I wanted to point this out.
0: But That sounds wrong. But
1: mostly, of course, uh, the first noticeable thing are the top hats, which are brilliant.
0: They are very, very tall. <laughs> I literally, my notes are like, I like pears. What? It's like, oh, okay. When um, everything goes
1: pear-shaped? Or why do you oh, like yeah. pears? Oh, when-
0: yeah. Everything goes pear shape. Aziraphale says...
1: No, Crowley I says... I like
0: pears. Yes, yeah. And I wrote that down because I found that funny. But of course, uh, Vero's state of mind is like brain dead when I was making this. So... I have notes, put so. pears
1: on the food list, just like I have put the crabs on the food list.
0: Okay. Well, there's the explanation of why I wrote I like pears. I am very curious about Crowley setting up his Future. And I wonder, and this is probably not the case, but I do wonder if he has been planning this move to ask for holy water all along. If this is why he befriended Azraful in the first place. No. I say no, but there is something, little voice in the back of my head that is like, "Mm, but what if? And you're a very
1: disillusioned person to have that. Of course I am. No, because as I understand his reasoning is that basically now that the arrangement has been in place for quite mm-hmm. a while, mm-hmm. he has started to realize how bad both sites are actually organized and run and how mm-hmm. little they care. Mm-hmm. But he also knows how shit his site is. And so I feel like this has gone very well for quite a while. and. Now he's starting to get a bit apprehensive because in the beginning he was the one pushing for the arrangement. And now everything has been smooth sailing for a while. And now he's getting uneasy because he's a demon. Nothing in his life would ever go smooth for a long while.
0: Oh, so he's trying to figure out how to... Prepare for possible... Yeah,
1: for probable problems.
0: Okay, okay. Well, I can live with that. It makes me feel a little bit better about that. But of course, you
1: are right. Uh, This is their first fight and it is extremely
0: sad. I don't need you. No, I don't need you. Uh,
1: But it doesn't matter because next up comes another scene with a lot of caps from me. (gasps) Oh, oh, We are in London, we are in 1941, and this is a bit of history that I am familiar with, so I was aware that we are in the Blitz.
0: It's not difficult to uh, realize that we're in the Blitz. My note here goes, Mr. Fell, hmm, I wonder what that names mean. I'm sure Lina will tell me. Yes,
1: and so I did.
0: Here yeah. we go. Uh, what would I ever do without you?
1: Have rest and more time and everything. <laughs>
0: Not i be constantly stressed that I am uh, um, not doing my dues.
1: Without me, you wouldn't have your dues.
0: This entire scene was set up
1: extremely tense. I loved it. It was very, very well done. Mm-hmm. We get the first official mention of the book oh, with no yeah, yeah, further yeah, yeah. information.
0: We get a mention of one of the prophecies that Azraffel managed to find in the notes of the publisher.
1: Yes.
0: It is a "Do Not Buy" Betamax. Yes, in number
1: 1972.
0: For it is 1972. No, it's, it, it's year. for
1: 1972. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. It for it's for 1972. I could not. I knew I heard Betamax before, but I couldn't remember. So I did Google it, <laughs> and of course, it's the less famous cousin of VHS. Yeah. So obviously, it makes sense. Do not buy that. It's what
1: Laserdisc was for DVD and Blu-ray.
0: Oh, uh,
1: how sad. fell has so much fun with the... Ha ha! I have betrayed you with this twist! Whoa! And
0: then, of course, the twist and the twist comes and it's... <laughs> But after this entire interaction, and of course, you know that Aziraphale did not just bring down Nazi spies because he is so not a kind of a person who would be able to do that. But he would love to be able to do it. Of course, he would love to be able to. I feel like he's seen a little bit too many spy movies at that point. And no, just, no, no, no. Or like not read too many spy books.
1: Yes. <laughs> I do not see Aziraphale going to any kind of movies in any kind of age. Like, no, no. Nah, he's a reader. A Maybe.
0: Yes. Okay, well, there are spy novels, so oh, yeah. I can definitely see him reading those and being wishing he was like them and then jumping on the first opportunity to be able to live it in a real life and then failing miserably because, of course, he does. However, there is somebody in his life who <laughs> is good at spy work and who is who was made to be in a situation like this, even though it's in a church.
1: It's so hilarious with the way he walks. With the- ouch, ouch, ouch. That's
0: so perfect. It's so perfect. This is how physical acting is supposed to look like. It is funny. It is over the top, but it's not annoying or overwhelmingly yeah, look at it, it's supposed to be funny laugh. So, oh God, this brought me so much joy just watching David Tennant work in the background even when the dialogue is not on him and he's just like kind he of never standing stops. There in the back. He just got, keeps... This is just a show of a very good actor. I mean, this would ideally be a show of Any actor whatsoever, do not stop just because you're not active in the scene. However, sadly, a lot of things kind of slip through cracks. But, you know, very good actor, knowing exactly what he's doing the entire time. Just brought me so much joy.
1: Also, we have to acknowledge this is the second time now that Crowley has come to Azurafeld's rescue.
0: And the spies are like, oh, Anthony J. Crowley, the legend, the man... And when they have the little exchange of like, oh, Anthony, oh, do you hate it? No, I didn't say that.
1: You could I'll s- get used to it is what he says.
0: He says, I didn't say that. I'll get used to it. <sighs> he says, I-, I-, I just like heart ice. This is just such a cute conversation. And then he asks him what the J stands for. And I'm just and like,
1: it's just a J really. <laughs>
0: Just the J. Ah, love it. Also, love it.
1: This is the first time I'm pretty sure uh, my friend and I is mentioned by oh. Crowley, and Aziraphale is not denying
0: or complaining. Yes. Mm-hmm. So
1: I didn't notice that it's extremely fucking cute, and they are in general incredibly fucking cute. And then of course everything happens with the bomb falling down and minor miracle, and then of course Aziraphale has this moment with Oh no, the books. And Crowley yanks the bag out of the dead Nazi's hand and hands them over with a tiny miracle courtesy of myself. And I say, this is the moment Israfel falls in love with Crowley. That that look he has on his face when he has the book back mm. and Crowley saunters off. That is the face of realizing, oh I have been in love, I didn't realize, and yes. now I know. Yes.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that he didn't admit nor... Re- well, you I didn't don't realize. really He it yeah, but I don't think he realized his feelings before, but they were there. You could see mm-hmm. the happiness that it brought him every single yeah. time he saw him and the interactions and everything but like now that. But now it's... Yes. Now it's this there. Is, this is like when you... Don't see something and then once you see it, it you can see nothing but. Yeah. And a but. It's like the <laughs> Beauty and the Beast
1: song. Uh, there's something there that was... A, I don't even notice the lyrics in English. Doesn't matter. I don't
0: know the song, so it's, it's okay. It's
1: incredibly cute and I absolutely fucking love it. But we're not done yet because this gets worse. So... We start with a heist, basically, and a heist is being set up and Crowley's hairstyle is horrific.
0: He looks like Ginger John Lennon.
1: Yeah, he looks like a beetle. It's horrifying. And of course, Shadwell shows up. Shadwell is
0: back!
1: Yeah. I didn't have much on the planning of the heist, but I love the to keep stumm saying. Like, hundred now a hundred once it's done and a hundred to keep stumm.
0: Yes. Which is, uh, is it's that, almost that German that from... for yeah.
1: being quiet, staying yes. silent.
0: Oh God, I love when we have these little sayings from languages just kind of traveling around and, you know, perfection. I also asked myself a question yet again. Why is Crowley so obsessed with Holy Water? Because it was even mentioned in the previous scene when he first walks into the church. He just goes, look at it. It just lays here, unguarded by anybody. And then he moves on to to rescuing Aziraphale but here we go again him even planning a heist because now he knows that the holy water is in the church and guarded so he is planning a heist to steal holy water it's just absolutely insane but it yeah I love it I love it and it just it's like they're preparing to steal the Mona Lisa the way they talk about it
1: seems to hang in his apartment as we saw in episode one so of course Maybe that was the trial run.
0: And then we have Shitwell approaching Crowley as Crowley is leaving. And this is the explanation of him and the Witchfinder army being Crowley's people. That he's mentioned in the previous episode that he can have look for the Antichrist. Which I think was a beautiful setup. Though we don't know yet how
1: Aziraphale got a similar arrangement, right?
0: Yeah, I don't know if we're ever going to find out. So I'm going to... I don't remember, actually. So we're going to keep an eye on that. I mean, I will.
1: But then Crowley goes sit in his Bentley and none other than Aziraphale is sitting in the passenger seat. And Aziraphale is extremely worried about losing Crowley. Which... Already is stinking fucking cute. And they have this short conversation. And then he hands him this, well... Thermos. Co- thermos. Coffee thermos yeah. thingy.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a thermos. And it's like the old school thermos. And he tells him top. to
1: not fuck around with the cap basically like don't even try to unscrew it and yeah so he went and got it for him even though he doesn't really want to and he he only did this after he fell in love with him after he realized that he was in love with him yeah
0: so first of all he warns him or he essentially gives us the information that Holy Water can not only eviscerate Crowley's body but also his soul
1: it will get rid of him completely
0: exactly which is why he is so worried And he says, I can't have you risking your life. It was the final confirmation, not that I needed any, that this, what we've been watching for half an hour at this point, is truly a story of their love and nothing else.
1: And now, of course, Crowley is like, do you want me to drop you somewhere, Like take you somewhere? Oh, let's go dine at the Ritz, which, of course, is one of the lines in a Nightingale thing in Berkeley Square and yeah Diana Durits
0: and Zerifala refuses and says, let's do it another time. We can go for a picnic. And then he says, you go too fast for me, Crowley. And it's just so precious because the conversation that they have in the car is entirely about their love and nothing else. Like, it is yeah. literally just about their re- Like, it has nothing to do with anything else but their relationship and their love. You and go
1: too fast for me is... Translated in, I'm in love with you, but I need more time to adjust to the fact that you're a demon, I'm an angel, and all of this is kind of confusing, but please do wait for me.
0: It's just so precious. I just can't. Imagining them sitting in a park, having a picnic where there is so much beautiful and tiny little food, which is absolutely scrumptious, laid out. And Azirapha is the only one eating it and just going from one bite after another. And Crowley is just sitting next to him with a glass of wine, watching him eat and enjoying himself. It's just like the most beautiful date in my head that I can ever imagine. It's just for the two of them, obviously. It's the perfect moment for the two of them. I just...
1: But it's also incredibly sad because this is 1967. It's not that far until Armageddon from this point forward. Yeah. And given the fact that they have been friends for 6,000 years by the time Armageddon happens. Yeah. They fraction, didn't have much time. It's a fraction of their existence. And to me, it makes it so much more understandable that Crowley just wants to run away with him. Mm-hmm. To just have a bit more time. hmm So what it is incredibly beautiful that Aziraphale came to the realization and that he's acknowledging it and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: (sighs) Yeah, it is. You know? And now we finally get our theme song. So now we finally get the intro. Nearly 29 minutes into the episode. I have written down that must be some sort of a record, which we already have found out it pretty much is. It's Nearly. from twenty-eight
1: minutes thirty-nine seconds until thirty minutes eight seconds. Indeed. And it is pretty much exactly in the middle of the episode.
0: And now we finally get our previously on good omens. Crowley and Azrafel, demon and angel, met in the garden when the world was created. Crowley became a pawn in Hell's Plan to bring on Apocalypse, but a little mistake happened. Azrafel got approached by Michael to monitor the entire thing. Crowley and Azrafel joined forces to keep an eye on the boy, but he is now lost, but found thanks to a prophecy book by Agnes Nutter. We also saw Newt join the Witchfinder army, renamed Shadwell Shitwell, and watched Anathema move to Tatfield in search for the Antichrist. Very good. And back to our story of the apocalypse. And we
1: go to Friday, right where we left off. And IMDb was so nice to take the work from me this time because they had a full breakdown of the sign in Azaraphale's bookshop and that reads... Bookshop opening hours. I open the shop on most weekdays about 11.30 or perhaps 10am, while occasionally I open the shop as early as 8. I have been known not to open until 1, except on Tuesdays I tend to close about 5.30pm or earlier if something needs tending to. However, I might occasionally keep the shop open until 8 or 9 at night. You never know when you might need some light reading. On days that I'm not in, the shop will remain closed. On weekends, I will open the shop during normal hours, unless I'm elsewhere. Bank holidays will be treated in the usual tradition, with early closing on Wednesdays and sometimes Fridays. For Sundays, see Tuesdays. A.Z.Fell, bookseller.
0: I adore this. And I feel like we've mentioned this before, but yeah, Neil Gaiman literally have said in an interview that he hoped somebody would stop the episode to read the entirety of the sign which is absolutely precious and I love that it's one of the many 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 amazing things within this show that brings me joy.
1: It's also basically taken straight from the book. Yeah. Like in, in the book, there's uh, the, that Azurafel actively do, does everything to not sell a single book. And one of the things is his random opening hours.
0: So, as you said, we hop back in right where we left off last time. And Azraffle is trying to figure out how to tell Gabriel what he found out. For some reason, he's decided telling Gabriel is better than telling Crowley. And this is kind of of pissing me off because why would he suddenly change anything no, no
1: no he's not telling gabriel he's not yet figuring out how heaven would react to have this actual knowledge
0: and that makes sense i mean yes but also then he goes to heaven later on so i feel like he is trying to figure out what he can tell them and how to say that to them.
1: Yeah, he's trying to do it the right way. Because in his expectation Heaven should have an interest in preventing the apocalypse.
0: I understand that and this is why I'm like I don't understand that because he has so much more experience by now to know that Heaven doesn't give a fuck. And the way they talked to him last time he was there it feels like they want the apocalypse to happen. They have told him well I mean if you want to keep an eye on the boy you can keep an eye on the boy. But, you know, wars are to be fought, essentially. But
1: throughout the history of Earth, Aziraphale has tried to argue that his side is the good side, even Still, when faced with obvious atrocities and such.
0: I know. And this is exactly why I'm like, I don't get why he can't change his opinions already. Because obviously, what well, everything you're saying is true but it doesn't mean it's not gonna make me you know angry but it's in keeping with his character i know but like he should just he he realized that he's in love with crowley and therefore and he's struggling with that well but he should you know embrace it and uh i they should be together forever it's not easy nobody said it was easy well
1: then don't tell him to just do it (laughs)
0: <laughs> no How my entire point here I'm not trying to argue anything you are absolutely right this is within character but that doesn't mean it's not gonna make me upset
1: I mean it is upsetting that Heaven are such dicks absolutely
0: oh no that's not, that doesn't upset me uh, what upsets me is that Aziraphale after all this time still puts Heaven first over Crowley even though he really doesn't because he has the arrangement with Crowley so in theory he doesn't but in practice in this moment suddenly he is
1: Heaven is a zero-fielce toxic family and not everybody has such an easy time cutting out toxic family members I I, I have all the empathy for him there we go to Ted Field are you aware that anathema is an actual word and has a meaning
0: yes I actually did look it up and I was planning to use it as my uh, backup solution for an um, British word of an episode eventually but uh, yeah I am aware
1: I did not notice so I uh, looked it up this time but if you already know it, so then what is it? Oh no,
0: please, please, uh, you can tell it because you have it written down. Like it is like an unlikable one or something like that. It is something that you do not enjoy.
1: Yeah, which is absolutely ridiculous. Why would you name your kit basically unlikable?
0: It's an unlikable device, which I find quite Funny actually. And it's a
1: horrible name. So it has it's either someone or something that is intensely disliked or loathed. It's also one that is cursed by ecclesiastical authority. Uh-huh. It's also a ban or a curse solemnly pronounced by ecclesiastical authority and accompanied by excommunication. Interesting. I did not know that, no. It's a denunciation of something as a cursed, and it's a vigorous denunciation, aka a curse.
0: So if you say anathema device, it is Essentially, probably then meant as unlikable device.
1: Mm, well, witches would get excommunicated and she is a cultist. Like, it fits, but still, why would you name your kid Curse Device? It's like, what? Because... Because it's in the book, yes. But, like, why did Agnes... Because Agnes obviously had a normal name, so... I mean,
0: her name was Agnes Nutter, so...
1: Yeah, at least her first name was normal.
0: Eh, fair. I uh, feel like this is uh, something we can throw on God, because Agnes did not make up the prophecies. She saw them, and...
1: So another thing we
0: blame God for. One can assume that those were shown to her by God. So another thing to blame God for. Yes, exactly. It's all her fault. I actually really enjoyed Adam in this scene. He's very sweet. Seems interested in... uh, anathema enough to ask her if she's okay. And if
1: she's a witch.
0: Noticing that she's crying. Obviously he asks her if she's a witch because he's been told that there's a witch living in Jasmine Cottage and she says she lives in Jasmine Cottage. So that makes complete sense. I... uh, did really enjoy that uh, this scene is kind of told from the perspective of dog because we get to see what's happening with him and by him being a small dog kind of losing the hellhoundishness of that bit by bit by little actions that are happening to him when he's trying to scare the cat, when uh, he is forced to enter the house with the horseshoe on it, you know, and it is specifically said that he is becoming less and less of a hellhound by doing this action so i think that's gonna go towards quite interesting things and i like the concept of because he is no longer a big scary dog he is becoming more like that on the inside as well so basically uh, next up we're gonna start jumping from one scene to another quite a lot at this point we See Newt being all, you know, curious about things. So we get to see the adulterous hat actually not being destroyed. So I feel like it's quite in- impressive the whole record keeping and artifact keeping in the Witch Funder army, even though I. <laughs> feel like that's the one and only impressive thing about them, is that they're actually good at keeping things around, which is kind of not impressive at all.
1: I mean, it's impressive that the head survived.
0: Yeah, exactly. It is is quite impressive that they have a few things around that are clearly historical, so he gets to see that. And then another shockingly impressive thing about Chitwell is that he's been able to keep up this ruse, which becomes way less impressive the moment we actually see him interacting with Crowley again. Because Crowley literally does not give a fuck about anything that Chitwell has to say or offer. So uh, yeah, he's been keeping this sham since the 70s.
1: Which only works because he's working with idiots when it comes to basic humanity.
0: Yeah. Well, it only works because Crowley literally does not care. <laughs> at least at the moment And
1: Zirafel cares a shit ton. But both of them are not good at humaning.
0: Yes, but like at this point we don't really know any inter- We don't actually at this point know that Aziraphale has any connection to Shitwell. So you know. In a cafe, there is
1: a television playing and according to MDB, the movie that is playing there is called Witchfinder General and it's from nineteen sixty eight. So But oh I forgot that existed. I did not know that was a thing, but of course it's very fitting that the Witchfinder General, which is of course made fun of with the Witchfinder Army, He's playing in the background in the cafe. And the newspaper that we see Crowley holding in his hand is Research reveals exorcism on the rice in Wales for some reason. (laughs) Uh, And I couldn't make it quite out on the right page. It says acid reflux pills useful link to. And I could not make out what the reflux pill is linked to. But apparently something. So yeah. Yeah. We go to Tedfield because we have to go back to Tedfield, basically in between every single scene. Anathema is putting a lot of things into young Adam's brain and she starts it all off with the school is an oppressive tool from the state so we <laughs> know exactly which direction we're going. And I kind of did not really like the fact that in between all the conspiracy bullshit, there are actual relevant things, like the nuclear problems with nuclear power stations, because everything else is bullshit. Like with the Kraken and the Atlantis and the Tibetan monks living in the ground spying on you. It's like, no, 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 no. So I don't like the nuclear power stations are a danger. Yes, because they are. Like, that is not conspiracy theory. So not liking the the mixing there of the actual danger with the not actual danger.
0: I was really rooting for Nathema in this scene that she might actually start realizing that there's something wrong with Adam because she tries to look at his aura and she can't see anything and she just can't figure it out And it's probably because of the cloaking device or whatever shall we call Adam's hiding system. Mm -hmm. Unconscious hiding system. But I feel like there is enough hints now and with the next scene as well, there is enough hints now for her to at least somewhat start putting things together. It's literally impossible for her to put it together. I know, but like I just really am rooting for her to be able to do that. Okay, but it won't happen. Like uh, Crowley spelled it out that it's impossible. Like... And I found incredible incredibly beautiful the little knots we get to the book and we will talk about those in detail in our book episodes.
1: I don't remember the the knots to the book.
0: We get an explanation why Anathema can't see Adam's aura and it is because it is hey huge and i always forget that that's the reason i for some reason always think that he does not have an aura because he's the antichrist instead of having a massive aura because his power is so big and the way they describe it or the way God describes it. The reason why Anathema couldn't see his aura is the reason why a tourist standing on Times Square can't see America. Which, again, bringing back to a few episodes ago, creates such a beautiful image and perfect image in my head that I instantly know exactly what is meant by that. So kudos to the writers. Kudos to Sir Terry and Neil on this one.
1: And kudos for Americanizing it so that the stupid American American watchers could understand it, because in the books it's about Britain, not America. Wow. (laughs) Seriously, it's like, why? Because obviously Neil Gaiman was aware that if he makes it with the UK, people will not understand it, which is like...
0: That is actually hilarious.
1: It's so sad. Fuck's sake. It's with the fucking Sorcerer's Stone all over again. It's like, really? Wow. Ah. Yeah. Okay. We go for our super, super quick jump into heaven. It's a very unpleasant scene, not just because of the content, but also because we have a shit ton of extreme close-ups. And those always make me uncomfortable because you have the fish lens, basically.
0: Yeah, it's quite distorted as well, yeah.
1: The only plus thing for me was that because of the intense fisheye close-up, I realized that John Hamm is wearing contact lenses and that Gabriel has purple eyes.
0: Oh, I did not notice that. Thank you for that. No, I did worry that Azrafa is going to tell them all the details about adam that he knows and then it felt like about halfway through he realizes that it's bullshit and he doesn't actually and then he starts talking about this being a hypothetical but as we get a confirmation in a few minutes in a very short scene that comes after tatfield he has already revealed too much just by coming there. So, uh, yeah, angels are our souls. Of course, they want war. There's nothing new there. We jump back to Tadfield,
1: and now Anathema is making sure she can still see auras or something. I don't know. But basically, every mammal has an aura puppies, people neighborhood watch person who calls her a young person which is a very interesting way to address someone I feel (laughs) of course having a neighborhood in itself is already something that makes me dislike this town even more
0: I mean it's a very typical thing for uh, um, English countryside
1: whenever I have any experience with neighborhood watch it's noisy people who care about things that are none of their business like it's the the grass is Bodies. Too long in this yard, and your tree is three centimeters too far to the left. And mm-hmm. yeah, so the instant I learn about somewhere being in neighborhood watch, I dislike that place more.
0: Yeah, do you have anything else for this? No, so now we have the little jump back to heaven, as I mentioned, and then we go back to Newt and we get some news clippings because what is every witch finder's best weapon?
1: It is scissors
0: exactly. So he is cutting out some news clippings about Tatfield. Turns out, and we get a lot of very tiny, perfect details about. Perfect field and perfect White Christmas and perfect Long Summers and stuff like that. And it's absolutely incredible. And again, I feel like this is explained in more detail in the book. So we're going to talk about that later. And now we have the Fungo from Azraful where we finally realize that not only Crowley's and Azraful's men are the same men. It is, in fact, the same man. And it is shit well. So not a great situation for neither of them, even though they both are convinced that they have dozens or hundreds or who knows how many men they are actually paying for under their command.
1: Well, I would hope not a hundred because paying 200 something per year seems very little.
0: Well, we don't really know how much Aziraphale pays because we know that Crowley pays 250 pounds, but we don't know for how often. I'd say that would be weekly because he said that he was gonna drop it off on a Saturday as per usual. We don't have a number on Aziraphale's payment, I don't think. So at this point, we have this conversation, we have this realization that Aziraphale is indeed convinced that Shitwell has more people than he actually does. Then he talks about surgeon milk bottle, and it's just... He is just so callable. It's so cute. After this phone call, you'd think, like, you know, now he's gonna send Newt to Tatfield because this is where it's at, right? And he even wrote down the address and the name. So it's like he... It feels like he kind of t- pays attention to what he's being told. But no. Even though Newt starts telling him all about this village and this kind of weather you dream of as a kid. I have written this down word for word because I think that is important. and. Even though Newt is telling him all of this, Shatwell still has zero interest even sending anybody out there. Or even even Newt, who he doesn't care about, he doesn't feel like the need to send him anywhere. Even though he takes the money from both Azaraphale and Crowley.
1: I read this completely different. This, he tells Newt no initially because it doesn't matter what Newt says it has to be wrong because he's new. Oh, And no. like when we pop over to the other scene, not real time has passed when we pop back to the Witchfinders. Mm-hmm. And then he's literally like the town that your research wouldn't by chance be called Tedfield, which yeah. impresses Newt tremendously.
0: Absolutely.
1: So to me, this is all grandstanding by Shadwell.
0: No, but he doesn't send him there until Newt specifically asks if he can go there.
1: On his own money. Yeah,
0: He exactly. says, I can pay
1: for the gas myself. And now yeah. he has him exactly where he wants him because now he doesn't need to go himself. He doesn't have to pay for Neil to travel there. And he could do the, Ah, oh, it's called Hatfield. And Neil is like, oh, how did you know? Like, Shadwell, as little as I like him, he's good at what he does.
0: I did not see Shadwell being that smart. I do not think of him as a good enough, smart enough character to be able to manipulate anybody this well he's
1: super fucking stingy with money so yeah that's why he wouldn't to
0: he, he wasn't gonna send him there in the first place in my opinion he was just gonna keep the money and just not do it because you know the the respective head offices never actually check if if it was done as long as they have the paperwork it felt like this is kind of a play on what Crowley and Azrael are doing to their head offices just you know taking all the glory and not really doing any work or not doing the work they were supposed to
1: like I said I read it very very differently. Because huh. this second Neil says I pay for it myself Newt. Whatever. The second Newt says I'll pay for it myself he name drops Tadfield impresses Newt immensely saved all the money and made himself look good. So okay. to me it was perfectly done. So we go to meet the next of our four apocalyptic riders, which is Dr. Raven Sable. And I have not found any reason why he's named this, I have to say. Is that a book no thing? Idea. Or... Okay. No, and of never course heard it. he's hunger. And I must very much agree that the portion size in super fucking fancy restaurants is absolutely fucking ridiculous. And I agree yep. with what does he say? I've never seen so many so rich people so hungry. It's perfect. It's very, very mm-hmm. perfect.
0: Yeah. And then we get the entire introduction of his new business of food-free food free
1: food. Chow. Don't call it food. It's not food. It's chow. <laughs>
0: well, this is how God introduces it to explain us what it is. But yes, it is chow. And I find that incredibly disgusting, while slash smart of famine to engaging himself in fast chow. Chow.
1: <laughs> I, of course, have to nitpick how the fuck did they put the glass of milkshake in the case? <sighs>
0: Supernatural powers, Lina. Yeah, but like it was like, how?
1: How?
0: <laughs> also, chances are it's probably not even liquid because it's not really food.
1: Well, just because it's no food doesn't mean it's not a liquid. But still, it was like, why? How? I found it absolutely hilarious when she tells her to push the button whenever she hands over the chow. Because it's all these like uh exclaimers, disclaimer, blah, blah, whatever. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I remembered is anal leakage. When you eat this you might experience (laughs) anal leakage because that is a very disgusting and hilarious way to put diarrhea. So yay, I'm very much here for
0: it. Or as some people call it, AL to make it sound even less threatening.
1: And to wrap this scene up, in my opinion, or how I saw it, Hunger was much more apprehensive than Happy, especially compared to War. When he uh, unpacks the scales, he's much yeah. more frazzled because War was like, hell yeah, and walking off into like offside screen. Into the sunset. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I cancel not my appointments, and, da, 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 and do this, do this, do this, and oh, I don't care, and like, being very overwhelmed with having the package. So that was a very interesting difference how they each reacted. So I'm very Hmm. curious how the next two are going to react.
0: I mean, it kind of makes sense if you think about it, because war lives for war, which is what is about to happen, while famine seems to have a very good business going and doing quite well. So maybe famine
1: isn't as happy about the end times actually coming.
0: Maybe famine got a little too human as well. Maybe. Just partially, though, because he was still happy enough. So now is the moment when Newt actually uh, ends up getting the assignment to go to Tatfield. Finally. Yay, we've been waiting for this. I've been waiting for this. I know that some people don't care, but I have been waiting for this.
1: <laughs> but he has to show up the next day at 9 a.m. and he doesn't really understand why, but Jetwell explains to him For your armor of righteousness, of course.
0: We'll learn what that is tomorrow.
1: <laughs> I'm very interested in what Shadwell considers an armor of righteousness.
0: Yeah. So out of all people, what Shadwell considers the armor of righteousness.
1: We have a short phone conversation, and I must say it is very Aziraphale that he does not remember. Their backup backup location?
0: Of course he doesn't. Because this is exactly why he's a shitty spy next to Crowley, who is an excellent spy. This is one of the many reasons.
1: I wouldn't call Crowley excellent, but not as bad. Yes.
0: (laughs) Workable (laughs) enough. Compared to Azorafel, excellent. We go to Tadfield and
1: once again, I find... Adam incredibly creepy the way he's sitting there between his parents talking about the magazines and being like, Of course it's true, they wouldn't put it into magazines if it wasn't true. And it's like,
0: ah Again, it's a very child logic. Uh they are watching some sort of a weird thing on telly as well, so that she might be worried about the television. But you know, Mr. Young clearly loves it, so I suppose it's fine. <laughs> He loves it so much he does not pay any attention to Adam. So Adam just decides to go read in his room. He did, he paid enough
1: attention to tell Adam that it was not true.
0: Well, I feel like there was a trigger word, ley lines. That was a what? It was a trigger for him that he just heard the, the words ley lines and he was like, oh, come on, that's completely not true. That's not a thing. What are you even talking about?
1: Yeah, and then Adam says the whole with the, the Tibetan monks listening to everything we say and that's when his mother looks at him very worried. So And then he says he's going to go to bed. Yeah. And then the parents exchanged a look. So to me, both the parents were also worried. But
0: let's move on okay. to the
1: penultimate scene.
0: Yeah. Finally, there's something that hurts me too much. The fight. <laughs> this is a place we can actually go to in London. It is on the south side of the River Thames. And it is not where they claim it to be, apparently. <laughs>
1: They have been very inaccurate with the details this episode.
0: Azraful, for reasons unknown to me, is not sharing that he found Adam, that he knows not only his name, but his address. He, weirdly enough, You'd think that Crowley may have picked up on it if he paid a little bit more attention, if he didn't focus as much on the uh, fleeing part of the plan. Because Crowley asks him, did you find his name where he lives, his shoe size? And Azrael's reaction to that is, why would I, how would I, or why would I find out his shoe size? Which is the only thing he takes, he replies to in that question. So essentially he is trying not to lie to Crowley but he does not tell him that he actually did find out his name and his address.
1: It makes perfect sense to me because like at this point Aziraphale is realizing that there is basically nothing they can really do because neither of them are up to kill Adam and If they don't kill Adam, the apocalypse will happen, and Aziraphale is pretty sure his side is gonna win because the righteous one, the good side, has to win, and so he's gonna lose Crowley anyway. So it's better to break now. Crowley
0: to kill Adam. He says it's
1: more up for your side.
0: Yeah, you need to do it. Yeah, and And Crowley Crowley says, says, "I'm not gonna do it." Yeah, but they had this
1: conversation before. This is not the first time that they talk about killing Adam.
0: No, before Crowley talked about possibility that Adam could be killed as a solution or the Antichrist could be killed as a solution to the whole apocalypse thing but that was Crowley bringing it up and Aziraphale was very much against that plan the fact that now he is actually asking Crowley to do it is making me feel very uneasy I'm not gonna lie he it it just is on this whole scene just made me very heartbroken and sad
1: yeah I agree with that because they basically break up with each other but yeah. to me it made perfect sense because it's not Aziraphale it Crowley you need to go and kill the antichrist it's your it sounds more like a job for your side It's a very clear separation. Crowley, you are a demon. You're on the bad side. I'm an angel. I'm on the good side. We can never be together. We are Romeo. I'm holier than you.
0: I am better than you. No,
1: not better. It's about Romeo and Juliet. Our families hate each other. We have no happy end together.
0: Well, he did say, uh, well, I am actually holier than you. So uh, it was pretty much I am better than her.
1: You. No, holier than doubt is a direct quote. To me, Aziraphale is not really saying I think I am better than you. He is yeah. breaking it up now because he looking how eager Heaven is for war, realizing if the Antichrist is not killed, which won't happen because he won't do it and Crowley won't do it, then war is going to happen and then Heaven is going to win. And then he's going to lose Crowley anyway. So this makes perfect sense to me.
0: And yet another moment when we're like seeing it... Watching a very different scene. <laughs> I don't know. It just made me so unhappy and uneasy that I didn't see any of this in that.
1: It also made me unhappy and it's terrifying and it's sad that they break up. And oh, yeah. No, absolutely. All Crowley wants is to go off together. <sighs> also, that happens. Yeah.
0: We could just find another universe. Oh, babies.
1: And is there a Explicitly saying we are not friends.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like, why? Why didn't Azraful decide to run off with Crowley then?
1: Because he sees no point in it. He sees the end is nigh. Heaven is yeah. gonna win. Period. Well,
0: why not? Why not enjoy the time? That you have with the person you love
1: because he's not that fast. It's not that long ago that he even came to a fucking realization that he's in love with him. Crowley had thousands of years okay. to be willing to break with his side just okay. to be with him. He had okay. not even three hundred years, which is nothing in angel age. All right, makes perfect sense to me. Poor poor I baby. Can see that. Poor baby being in love.
0: Aww. Okay, so we go to Adam and we are finishing this episode off, seeing what apparently the Antichrist can do. He is reading some of his magazines before bed and as he's fallen asleep, we get the voices again, which we have heard last night as well with him. And I still don't know what the voices are. I love the little touch that the minister is gay because fuck yeah. Well, but given
1: that The person has bad is indicating the time. I'm pretty sure he booked a prostitute, so probably not openly gay.
0: I mean, you know, first step is admitting yourself that you're not uh, you're you know.
1: I took it more as a as a slight as a oh yeah politicians outward anti gay at home active gay. Yeah,
0: so starts for me. But yeah, either way. Okay. (laughs) That's in there for about half a second. And uh, we are in the uh, nuclear factory where a nuclear reactor was replaced by a lemon sherbet.
1: I paid attention to the subtitles because the subtitles say meant it all, end it all, which is very interesting because I do not hear the difference between meant and end. Mm. But... To mend something is to repair it and to end something is to basically break it forever. So if the subtitles are not wrong in this regard, then the voices are neither good nor evil, which I would find interesting.
0: So I did really love seeing Azeroth's and Crowley's relationship develop and blossom, but I hated how they left things off. I'm not sure what's Azeroth's goal right now. Was he gonna ask Crowley to kill adam all along is that why he never told him that he found him but i guess i'll see in the next episode hopefully i am otherwise thoroughly enjoying the show acting is incredible casting perfection the story has twists and turns and i am following along on a ride that i really enjoy i cannot wait to reread the book and talk about it even in more details.
1: So, our ineffable husbands are fighting, half of the four horsemen have been recruited, heaven is full of dicks, Anathema put a bunch of random conspiracy theories in Adam's brain, and Shadwell is apparently smart enough to get paid double for doing nothing. All in all, I should hate this episode. But the first half showing the growing relationship between Crowley and Aziraphale makes it all worth it. This half hour is incredibly well done, with so many bits and pieces that we probably did not even manage to cover all. I love the two of them so fucking much, and they better make up right in the next scene. And with this, we say thank you for listening. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find us as the Apple of Truth on Twitter and Instagram.
0: We will keep you updated if and when with your crashes and burns. You can
1: also send us your comments and complaints to goodomens at taot-podcast.com
0: If you want to get that sweet, sweet extra content early episode release and more,
1: like six seasons of another show more,
0: head to patreon.com slash podcast. And if you like
1: what you hear, please do write us a positive iTunes review.
0: They help a ridiculous amount.
1: And don't forget to pester all Your friends about us. Thank
0: Thank you! you. Bye. Bye!